What up, Misfits? Welcome to the Misfit Heroes Podcast. My name is Chris, and together we are going on a journey. Now, Misfits, I'm a big fan of comedy. I love making people laugh, and one of my goals in life is to bring joy to the people I meet in their daily life. I try and have that impact on everyone I meet, and I think if it's one thing that we need to do right now, we need to take a minute to laugh. The Bible even says in Proverbs 15.15, The mind of a person who has understanding searches for knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on stupidity. Every day is a terrible day for a miserable person, but a person who laughs with a cheerful heart has a continual feast. People say that laughter is the best medicine, which is why I don't trust penicillin. And my guest tonight is no different. About the laughing thing, not the penicillin. Note to self, do not introduce guests as anti-vaxxers. Misfits, my guest tonight is a very funny man. He's a stand-up comedian from Virginia Beach, Virginia. You might have seen him on True TV's Laugh Tracks and the film Employee of the Year streaming right now on Amazon Prime or on Hampton Roads and now nationally broadcasted morning show Living 757. But for nearly 20 years now, Quincy Carr has been the creative talent behind the Quality Comedy Series, a clean stand-up comedy show that you can feel fine watching in front of your grandmother. We talk about why the world needs clean comedy right now, how cancel culture is targeting and affecting not only our entertainers, but also our fundamental rights in America to free speech, and what it takes to follow your dreams in the entertainment industry. I'm very excited to talk to this man. Misfits, please welcome Mr. Quincy Carr. Playing the Misfit Heroes podcast. Quincy Carr, welcome to the Misfit Heroes podcast. How are you doing tonight? Doing good, my man. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm so happy to have you on here. It's been it's been a long time. I'm going to test your knowledge a little bit. Do you remember when we first met so long ago? I'm putting you on the spot, man. It's it's like uh it's like it's like Stevie Wonder. Do you remember? I worked with you a long long time ago at a place called IMA. Oh my gosh, I am a that is that that acronym. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Says it all. So, Misfits, if you don't know this, IMA was a company that both of us used to work for, <laughs> and it was a telemarketing firm. So we were those people that you hated to talk to on the phone. <laughs> I still remember the script, Chris. Oh my God! Uh, I, I try my hardest to forget it. <laughs> Look, I only did. I only was a because I was there for about maybe three years, and I was a telemarketer for about a year and a half of it. And the other half, I don't know if you were there when I moved downstairs to work in the IT, and I put air quotes around that because I was really, yeah. <laughs> I was really just a uh, a well dressed uh, custodian and technical guy. <laughs> uh, but after that year and a half, I still remember the script, man. I cannot get that script out of my head. Thanks for calling IMA. Well, uh, this is Quincy Carr with IMA. Just calling you to let you know that you've been entered to win a $50,000 sweepstakes. Are you interested in that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that too. I was I was there and it was all it all it took was uh some magazines. It was it, it started out as $3.85 a week and then it turned into somehow like 12 payments of 66.65. You got to you got to get a credit score. It was crazy. Yeah. So so were you a closer or part part of the uh, TSRs? 
I started out as the TSRs and then I went into a closer. I was I was a real closer. I loved that. I loved that job because it was just uh it was just pandemonium. It was such a hang. I don't I don't even know how it was considered a business, but it was great. We used to prank call people on the phone. Man, those were yeah. the days. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, man. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. And the business is still up today. I don't I don't think they're still in the same business of telling people they wanted sweepstakes to sell magazines, but I do pass them by in Virginia Beach every now and again. Let's bring it back to where where you're at now. So, I mean, it's been a hot minute. It's been a long time. But the reason we brought you on is uh, is you're doing some great things in the world of comedy, and you've decided to start chasing your dream. I think you were chasing your dream back then. Yeah. And I think you're finally starting to uh, to catch your dream a little bit, I hope. <laughs> well, you know, I still um, I still have a lot of tread left on my shoes, so it's... It's letting me know I still got a lot left to run. <laughs> For the people out there listening to Misfits, uh, Quincy is host of the Quality Comedy Series, and they are a clean comedy series based out of Virginia Beach. They do clean comedy and comedy clubs and everything like that. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about that, Quincy? Well, like first of all, the brand of Quality Comedy is something that um, I created in 2010. I've always been known as a cleaner comic, even when I was using profanity in my performances. So just a quick backstory. I started in 1999. I say the late 1900s for all the millennials and young people that may be watching. 1999, that's when I started. So I'm coming up on 22 years, I believe, in the comedy business. And just the way I started, it it was just trying to find my space, even though I wasn't normally or or I didn't. I never remembered saying I'm going to be a stand up comic. Right. So it was after I got out of the Navy. And then uh, about a year or so later, this girl said, you know, I think you're funny. You should try stand up comedy. And I tried it and the bug bit me. And when I was doing my comedy, I was trying to find myself. So I didn't know if I was going to be the type of comic that was just all out raunchy or just, you know, curse every now and again or be clean. I just remember my mom telling me when I told her, yeah, I was going to try this comedy thing. Well, don't be out there being raunchy. I want you to be like Sinbad or, or, or you know, Jerry Seinfeld or, 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 or even Bill Cosby. I'm like, uh, fast forward, mom, do you still want me to be like Bill Cosby? Um, <laughs> I had that. And I would probably say after about 10 years in the business, because I was already kind of regarded as a cleaner comic, even if I use curse words. And so I said to define myself with clean comedy, I don't want to just be known as a you know clean comic, right? Or like some people think clean is Christian or church or gospel comedy. And I said I want to be in my own lane instead of being in a lane that's already there. And so my when I formed my company in 2008, Quincy Car Inc., the the brand of my company was Quality Entertainment and Barber Services. So that's where the brand Quality comedy came from. And in 2010, uh, the Virginia Beach Funny Bone gave me my very first opportunity to have my own comedy night. The quality comedy series is what I came up with. And uh, we are going strong. Uh, Currently set to hopefully kick off season 12 um, in the midst of this uh, pandemic, hopefully rounding the corner. That's awesome, man. I, I tell you one thing, the, the world right now, we need some clean comedy. We got to bring back the happiness, man. 2020 was crazy. And 2021, I just want to hear some jokes. I tell you what, man. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody needs needs a little bit of laughter because laughter does keep you looking youthful. 
I believe. When 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 people see me, and I'm never shy about my age, so I'm 44, uh, almost 44 and a half. But when people see me, I look like I'm I'm in my 30s. And I look like I'm in my early to mid 30s. And so outside of the whole black don't crack thing, uh, I just tell them, I say, look, you just got to laugh. Just enjoy life. Don't take it too seriously and have fun. And that's what comedy does overall. But clean comedy allows you to be able to connect with that TV audience because you've got to, as a stand up comic, you've got to be clean to be able to get on TV, you know. Um, and it's only a few platforms that will allow, you know, profanity. So that was the route that I took because I knew that it would give me more opportunity and, you know, kind of where I am now, where I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a TV personality on two TV shows. And then I perform as a headliner on the uh, Norwegian Cruise Line. So all because I'm a comic that can perform in front of all types of audiences and and I can do it clean. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your uh, your TV show. I just saw on there seven five seven living. I mean, what made you want to do that, and and how did you how did you get involved with that organization? Well, it's actually a pretty in- interesting story. So the TV show is called Living Seven Five Seven, and in the Hampton Roads area, there are two lifestyles uh, area lifestyles type shows. One being the Hampton Road Show. And the other one being Coast Live. So Living 757 airs on the Cox cable platform. And essentially, I would say in 2015, in 2014, I started filming. I decided to film as part of my quality comedy series. I decided to turn it into a TV show and I called it the quality comedy show. And I filmed it. I recorded it, edited it. And then I approached uh, Cox communications because they were at the time a local access uh, or like public access type of channel. And they're no longer that. They're actually a network under the uh, YourView platform now. So they were accepting, you know, people uh, presenting content and they would put it up for free. Wouldn't cost you anything. They just wanted content. And so I brought to them the very first comedy TV show. And uh, I had about six episodes that ran for about six or seven months and they loved it. It was just, I didn't have the ability to, uh, uh, you know, film anymore because I lost my film crew and then it cost a lot of money and I didn't have sponsors. So I just did ju- just that one. And funny thing happens, fast forward, this is in 2014. I made that relationship. It ran through 2015 and it stopped. And in 2019, in 2019, the summer of 2019, I'm looking at my contacts. This is so crazy. I'm looking at my contacts and the producer that's, you know, the head person on, you know, Cox for TV shows. Uh, I saw that I had a message and I saw his name and I said, man, I haven't talked to this guy in a long time. And I decided to delete his email contact because it had been almost five years. Right. I decided to delete his email contact. And I kid you not, Chris, about five minutes later, I get a ping on my Facebook Messenger, and it's him saying, hey, Quincy, if you are available, can you please give me a call? I think I have a very interesting situation for a new TV show that you may be interested in. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, (laughs) you know, we haven't talked 
And I come across this email and I just delete it. Say, well, you know what? I'm just trying to clear all the stuff that I don't really talk to anymore. And I call him up and he says, hey, we're getting ready to transition from this current Spanish English show that we've been doing for five years. And we're going all English with a new show. And he uh, named it Living 757, all parts, everything 757, just in the area. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, I've always been told that I had a face and I've always been told I've had the appearance for a person on TV. And people have always told me that folks will say, you know, you, I can see you on SNL or I can see you on all these shows just because of how you bring your energy. So that was just a blessing um, that was waiting to come. And he said they were looking to book another comic that they knew as part of the station. And one of the um, one of my co-hosts, who I had just ran into a few months before, had said, what about Quincy Carr? And this guy goes, oh my gosh, yes, he gave us a comedy show years ago. It was a great TV show. He would be perfect. So that's how it happened. That's how I ended up on that show. Wow, yeah, that's that's crazy, man. That's that's a gift from God right there, buddy. <laughs> you just get that message right out of the right out of the blue, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, how have you been doing during the pandemic? I mean, have you been able to do some of that seven five living excuse me, living seven five seven stuff during the pandemic? Have you been able to do the remotes like that or uh Yeah. Uh Chris is actually we've been virtual uh since because in this area in Virginia, uh, I think the quarantine or the self-quarantine stuff started happening around the third week of March of 2020. And our show our show was always being filmed in the studio. Uh, there's a studio on the Cox Communications premises for, for their media department. It's a beautiful studio and we miss it so much. Um, but <laughs> we uh, we've been virtual ever since then. And um, and what was crazy was in the midst of being virtual, uh, about three weeks later, going into April, um, I was approached with under the same network, under the same Yearview network. I was approached with another national lifestyles TV show, which is called Main Street Living. And I was the one that they wanted to pull from this current show. So I'm actually doing both shows each week. Uh, it's a weekly show. Both run multiple times on Cox no longer Channel 11 uh, in the 757 is uh, Channel 60. So I think it's between Bravo and, and the History Channel or something now. Uh, so, yeah. So now, you know, I went from doing just that local show every week to now I'm doing a, uh, a national show in in conjunction with that local show. So you talk about an ultimate blessing on top of a blessing. That's what, what it's been. But we've been uh, continuing until we can get back in the studio. <laughs> that's amazing, man. I mean, that's, like I said, blessing after blessing. You said it. I've also, I've seen some of your TikToks and your Instagram lives and all that stuff, man. That stuff's hilarious, dude. Is that your daughter in them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, uh, she's really the reason why I ended up on TikTok because you know, it was a young person's thing. And uh, she asked if I had an account and I said I didn't. And then we, we ended up interviewing a guest on uh, from TikTok that's from the 757 that became popular. And I said, you know what? Let me just try j just to have fun. And ever since I did that, she'll come to me. I mean, she became to me today. Hey, Dad, uh, later on, can we do a TikTok? And I'm like, oh, 
<laughs> so uh yeah so she keeps me youthful by being on tiktok and just having fun so i always hashtag daddy daughter time that's awesome man I, I i love it hey also with the remote stuff have you ever done any remote stand-up or anything like that i mean i i hear i hear that's a thing now and me personally when i think of stand-up comedy i think of you go to a comedy club and the the audience the room interacts you know, the, the room sort of becomes this living thing and, and you're affecting everybody. But I've heard that there's remote stand-up comedy and that just seems weird to me. It's like you're talking to yourself in a room and trying to make people laugh. Have you done any of that stuff? <laughs> yeah, man, I've done, I think I did a total of six or seven uh, Zoom type of comedy performances. My I did like three H&R Block uh, I think it was like a company employee appreciation type of deal because they had gone through the tax season, which got extended. So uh, one of their locations in Richmond had contacted me to do it. And then from there, I guess they told their other you know, affiliates and it was two other locations that was in the Hampton Roads area that reached out to me and said, hey, we heard about you doing the Richmond one. And we're, you know, doing a, you know, a year in closeout for our employees and we'd love to have you. So I want to say the ones that I did earlier, right when the pandemic hit, I didn't feel like, you know, obviously for a lot of comics. I mean, it's not going to be the exact same because, mind you, I'm coming from performing on cruise ships and performing in front of, you know, live audiences when I'm doing my quality comedy series or just anywhere. Right. right. And that's all we were used to. And then it's like, hey, we can't perform because no venues can be open right now. But to at least keep some type of money coming in, we need to understand how to make people laugh without having a microphone in our hand and being in front of a live audience. And, and, and it was so, I mean, man, it was a huge difference. And I would probably say I did about, I would probably say on a scale of one to 10, I would give myself a six. <laughs> and then like towards the end, when I was doing those final H&R block ones, I started to kind of have a good routine of how to engage people virtually before I get into my comedy. And then I think I've done two live performances total. And one was in a neighborhood. Um, it was like this entire community. Uh, they all came out and they clearly did not believe in the masks. Uh, although we were outside on a deck, but they would come up to me to buy some products after the show. And I got my mask on and I'm like, okay, can you stand back? Oh, stop. We, you know, nobody's got COVID around here. And I'm like, whoa. So it's y'all are the yeah. ones, you know, that's got this thing spread it. So, but yeah, I've done two live and then probably a total, I think six virtual ones. So it's definitely been a challenge, but a great learning experience. Cause I honestly, I think it's the future. So like they say, it's the new normal, like everything that we're experiencing is the new normal, right? So if as a creative person or as a business, if you're thinking of holding out until everything is cool so you can go back to what you were doing normally, you're going to be so far behind the ball. I mean, this podcast, streaming, all types of stuff, that's going to be the new normal, man. Yeah, I love doing podcasts, man. I, I discovered podcasting. I mean, I'd listened to podcasts and stuff like that in the past, but I started doing this podcast in July of 2020, and I'm just amazed. I mean, where it's where it's reached. I'm just some dude sitting in a green screened room in Manio, North Carolina, but we reached like 18 countries last year. Nice. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. And and you know, I I'm sitting there thinking, you know, well, who would want to list this? And then that's that's just me being hard on myself, I guess. But people are really receiving it really well. And I mean, and I'm not even really all that funny. <laughs> so you know, our toughest critics are ourselves, man. Oh yeah, for sure, man. I 100% fit that bill. I tell you what, man. It's it definitely. Uh, I am my worst critique for sure, for sure. But, but speaking of that, um, you know, one of the things that's been going on in comedy right now is, um, you know, even with the remotes, I tell you, like I said earlier, I am just dying to get back into public and comedy just has that, has that feeling of when you go into a comedy club and, and you feel all the people around you laughing. And I mean, it's just, it's just happy. It's just happiness. And one of the things that uh, that people are focusing on now is what is what is funny? You know, the the you were talking about the new normal and things like that. And I'm just excited to see that the new comedy that's that's coming up in the future in 2021. I'm excited to, to hear, you know, what people have been thinking about, because comedy itself is, is literally free speech personified. It's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's supposed to be, but what we're living in now, and Chappelle has talked about it, uh, people like Kevin Hart and so many other comics have been victims of the free speech and you just being in the light of comedy. So things that you could say could come back to haunt you, whether it's a few months, few weeks, or, or 12 years later. So right now, more than ever. We are living in the age of this cancel culture, and it's almost like you could be revered as one of the best or somebody that's on the rise. And based on somebody that has five followers on Twitter that says, I can't believe you said that. You have ruined my perception of life. And then all of a sudden, we've got to cancel this person. So. You know, comedy is is definitely one of the freest, toughest forms of entertainment. And uh, we've now been given an extra amount of toughness or an extra amount of 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 obstacle because now our hands are, are tied behind our backs in the type of jokes and the type of funny we can use to relate to an audience or even just get off our chest. And what a lot of people don't understand with comedies, Chris, is, I mean, with comedians, is that we are dealing with a lot of mental uh, health issues. Um, some more severe that we've seen with like the greats like Mitch Hedberg, you know, Robin Williams, those comics that have, you know, passed away. Kennison. Yeah, you know, like drugs were their outlet, you know, or maybe they took their own life because of mental health issues. So we suffer from a lot of psychological type of of situations in our head. But that's what also gives us the freedom to do what we do so well by getting it off our chest and making it funny. So essentially people are laughing at our pain. (laughs) <laughs> not laughing with them, they're laughing at our pain and our thought process. So that's the most encouraging thing about why the art of comedy is so very important for fans like yourself to just to get out and see what we're going to be talking about. And honestly, if you're a comic that's going to come back saying the same exact 
routine, same jokes, like nothing has been renewed, restored, or just recreated, then I don't know how long you're going to last as we move into the new lifestyle that we'll be living for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I kind of wonder about that. If it's one thing in this pandemic that I have learned, it's that nothing in life is guaranteed. And I guarantee you there's a million people out there working some dead-end job that they can't stand, but they got the passion for comedy. And I'm so excited for them for what's coming next for them because that is the future that I'm looking for. You know, and and going back to what you're talking about about cancel culture, you know, that's a little off-putting too to somebody that's not in that uh not in that field yet and and the new comedians and things like that that you're talking about. You know, it's it's interesting to see what what's off limits and what's not and you know how that how that applies to people as well you know because comedy is really to me i mean it's it's just pointing out what you see and pointing out what you what you think the truth is you know people may not like that but if it's real it's funny you know <laughs> yeah like that's my thing because uh, i have two rules in comedy and one is funny is funny if it it's funny period funny is funny if it's funny so you don't have to try to find out, well, it's because it was a black audience or because it was a white audience, because the audience was, you know, pro-gay or pro-life, you know, uh, the audience was political or not. So funny is funny if it's funny, period. But I also say, you know, comedy is uh, 95% real, uh, 5% fabricated. And I use that, especially if I talk about a subject that could be, you know, a little like cringe worthy. So, for example, is a bit uh, and it's an extension of this Michael Jackson bit that I created back when 2009, when Mike had passed away. And in the bit, I'm talking about uh, how Mike, you know, had died. Right. And I say. Like if you are around old people, they always give you the superstitious stuff. You know, death come in three. So if you remember the week that Mike passed away, two other celebrities had passed right before we knew Mike had passed. So on the Sunday of that week, Ed McMahon had passed away from the uh, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Uh, And the same day that Michael passed away, Farrah Fawcett from Charlie's Angels, she passes away. And then I say in the joke, which means somewhere in this country... There was some celebrity in a dark room just waiting their turn. Like they were just shaking and waiting their turn. And I say, you know, because on stage I'm showing the person is shaking in their boots, right? And so I tie that to Parkinson's. And I say, so, you know, it was probably somebody like, Muhammad Ali, obviously before Muhammad Ali had passed, I say it was somebody like Muhammad Ali, right? And so I'm shaking and the crowd go, oh, and I said, oh. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. A little bit too, 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 too tough. Uh, Michael J. Fox. Okay. It was Michael J. Fox. Like, just shake it. Right. And, and then they really, oh, and so I say, okay. All right. Stop it. Stop it. People. Let me explain something to you. Comedy is 95% real, 5% fabricated. What I just said is 100% real. Those two examples I use have Parkinson's. So that's exactly what they would look like if they were sitting in a dark room waiting to die, (laughs) shaking. And people just erupt and they laugh because I kind of use that 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 ability to say, hey, this is comedy, people. But here's the truth of it. I could have made it up and just joked about somebody. But 
I had I used two real examples for a real bit that was actually creative and funny. And then I just explained, look, just laugh. I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. It's real. So uh, that's kind of how I've stayed out. But you you did mention something about new comics being afraid to come in because of the cancel culture idea. It really doesn't affect newbies. It affects the people that already have an establishment out there Be- because somebody, well, no one is going to look at somebody that doesn't have any type of impact and say, oh, yeah, I'm about to destroy their career. It's yeah. always somebody who has an establishment. I mean, I've been in the game almost 22 years now. I'm in that discussion of a possibility that somebody could look at something I post online, even though I don't have a, just this crazy amount of viral followers from viral video views. Somebody can just say he's everywhere. I'm seeing him on TV. He's got commercials. He's doing these things. You know what? I'm going to find something and dig in his past and I'm going to bring, you know, bring it to light. And I hope I hope it cancels him. So I'm in that conversation. Yeah, that's that's a shame, too. You know, I mean, the way that that you all bring light to people, too. I mean, like I said, last year was just really hard for a lot of people. And, you know. What you do, like I said, we we need happiness right now, and so I, I really hope that the the cancel culture and that the you know I'm going to take what you got away. I, I hope that just disappears a little bit because I mean people got to lighten up a little bit, you know. And like I said, you guys, what what you do, you guys just bring light to people. You make them you make them happy, and you make them just get rid of all the stuff that's going on in people's heads by letting go and releasing that from themselves for, I don't know how long your sets are, half an hour, an hour, you know, who knows. But for that time, those people are free from all that. Have you ever spoken with anybody like after a show or anything like that? And, and they, you know, aside from just, you know, talking about, Oh yeah, Quincy Carr, you're great. But have, have, have you ever had somebody come up to you and just say, you know, Hey, that made my day. First of all, let me back up, Chris. No one has ever uttered the words, Quincy Carr, you're great. I'm waiting for my mama to tell me that. That's <laughs> <number> one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I I make a point, man, to talk to as many people, even if it's a fellow peer in the business. One thing that I know that I've always received a little praise for, especially in, in the area of Hampton Roads, where my comedy career began, mm-hmm. is from up-and-coming comics when they talk to me or ask me questions, they end up saying, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. Like, do you know how many veteran comics just kind of push us off and they just be, hey, look, you got to figure it out the way I figured it out. And so whether you're a fan of my work, whether you're a fan of my productions or my shows that you've witnessed or you're a fellow peer in the business, I'm always like, you know, if I'm available, because like, my wife has told me this. She said, one of your faults in life is that you're a fixer. So you cannot stand to see other people not winning. And you always want to try to make sure that you're helping somebody do something positive, just like you. And, you know, she she, she, she was like, eventually you're going to have to uh, or you should consider charging him for your advice and for your time. 
And I said, I, I mean, it's difficult to even fathom unless it got to the point where it was like, hey, Quincy, I got like five people. They all need to talk to you. I told them about you and I told them that you, you know, you can help steer them in the right direction. And, you know, and if it's becoming this thing, then yes, then maybe I guess it's called being a consultant or something. Then maybe I can do do that. But just a random person just wanting to talk and get information or you know, just pick my brain. I'm always you know, I'm always open for something like that. Yeah, I love that. You know, a lot of a lot of big name celebrity, I say big name celebrities, but a big name comics that that do that as well. I've heard I've heard that about a lot of people, whether it's Chappelle or Kevin Hart or, you know, yeah. Uh, lots, lots of people like that. I, I hear, I hear that's a, a big thing. You know, you you see someone like uh, like Kevin Hart, who's been huge in the uh, in the news and lived just kind of a, a crazy life so far, and he's just giant. He's doing all these big movies, but from what I understand, the guy is just uh, top notch. You know, class act type guy, and 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 wants to help everyone bring bring the next generation up from the bottom. You know, it, it and when when people do that, when people when people sort of hire from the inside, I mean, it, it makes everything better for all of us. And I think there's a lot of people that are focused on, Hey, I got to go get that role. I got to go get that show. I got to go go me, 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 me. And you know, that's, that's, that's beautiful. What, what you're doing, you know, bringing, bringing, bringing the, uh, the next generation up for you. So my two encounters with both uh, Kevin Hart and Chappelle and Kevin Hart, 2007, uh, right before he shot his first comedy special, uh, Grown Little Man, he was doing comedy clubs, getting prepared because he was just about to blow up from doing that special. And I was the feature act in front of him. So there was the host, does 15 minutes, the middle act, which was me to do about 20, 25. And then he, he was the headliner. Well, his main credit that everybody knew him from was from Soul Plane. So he still wasn't like, you know, it was just a basic guy that had been on TV, had been on, you know, a couple of, you know, comedy performances that folks were buying tickets to see, but it wasn't the superstar Kevin Hart now. And we did two shows. And I remember after the second, after my second, well, during the second show, but after my second performance. So he was getting ready to go up and I came off stage and he said, yo, dude, uh, I watched you on the first show. And then, and then again on this show, you're a very hard act to follow <laughs> for a lot of headliners. And he said, but me, you know, I don't care. Like, I'm going to just do me. But, you know, like you, you are a strong act. And he said, but just be a be aware, keep your head on the swivel because a lot of headliners will not want to work with comics like you. He said, me, I don't care because I want everybody to be good and strong. You know, I'm going to do me anyway. And he was so right. I mean, I was maybe, I think I was like eight years in the game at the time. And for him to tell me that I felt so, uh, I mean, it felt so good to hear. Right. And I just thought that that was a really cool thing. So when I talk about Kevin Hart and my encounter with him versus the Kevin Hart, a lot of people may know now, it's the same guy, just a cool down to earth cat. Uh, never got his number, never took a picture with, with him or, or anything. I mean, I was like, okay, this guy's a, you know, a peer in the comedy game. So I'm, I'm not gonna be, hey, can I have your picture? <laughs> and so which, which brings me to when I met Chappelle, which was about in 2016. Uh, my second trip out to LA to perform, Chappelle was in town performing at a popular uh, historic landmark of comedy clubs called the Comedy Store. 
And a buddy of mine, we, we were at this comedy club and I was just getting ready to call the Uber because it was getting late. The show had already ended and, you know, and I'm getting ready to get in this Uber. And he said, hey, Q, you want to uh, go catch my man Chappelle at the, at the comedy store? And I'm like, your man, like, you know the dude? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's my guy. And so I said, oh, all right. And so we go there and he had done a pop up performance. Right. So people had no idea he was going to be there. But when those big celebrities just show up in a comedy club, anybody else that was on the list to get up on stage that day, you might as well just say, look, I'll just come back tomorrow when we can refresh this whole moment right here, because nobody's going back on that. They ain't there no more, right? <laughs> Not at all. So Chappelle had just finished performing. The crowd was outside. We had missed him performing. I think he did like about 40 minutes or so. And But he was in this kitchen area, him and a few of his people just waiting. So I arrived to the club. The guy that I came with, he walked straight back because he knows where Chappelle is. I get stopped by a guy, a fellow comedian from the Virginia Beach area, right? Of all places, <laughs> this guy's like, Quincy Carr. And I'm like, who the hell would know me in LA? Like, And I look and it's, you know, and it's him. His name is Josh. And he's like, dude, what are you doing out here, man? And so, hey guys, this guy is one of my buddies from Virginia Beach. And so I'm happy about the accolades, but I'm like, yo, I'm trying to go see Chappelle. Like, Thank you. This is but can I just leave? And so yeah, he's like, yo, hey, this guy is one of a kind. You guys gotta follow him. He's a strong guy, da 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 da. And so I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Is Chappelle nice? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Chappelle is, you know, in the kick in the kitchen area. So anyway, I walk to the kitchen area, and this is how cool Dave Chappelle is. Apparently, my buddy had told him that he brought me along, and obviously I hadn't arrived in the kitchen yet. Chappelle is talking to somebody else when I finally walk in there. He literally looks around that person's head, sees me, not really pushes him to to the side, but it's like, yeah, 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 I'll get back to you. He said, hey, what's going on, my man? And I said, what's going on, Dave? And he said, yeah, uh, Toure was telling me about you. I said, hey, you know, I'm a fan, man. So I'm like, cool. Never got a picture with him. Meanwhile, the guy who knows him is like, hey, Dave, you you, you mind if I just capture a quick picture? <laughs> he stole your spotlight, man. <laughs> I'm like, why did I think to get a picture? So, yeah, uh, you know, Kevin and Chappelle are just, you know, some of the dopest comics. And there's so many more out there that just give good advice, real down to earth and real cool to talk with. So uh, that's the type of comic that uh, or the type of personality I try to embody for for just people in general. Well, that's awesome, man. That It shows, like I said, you know, when somebody's willing to take that, uh, give a hand up and, and, and really sort of bring that helping hand to other people, I think it pays off big time. I think it shows that, you know, you've been there and you've been doing this a long time, but you know where you're at now and you know where you've been. So that's a beautiful thing, man. Hey, also, uh, you mentioned, you mentioned earlier that, um, that you are a, uh, a barber as well. Is that correct? Cause that was something that we sort of glazed over, glanced over a little bit. You, you do yeah. tell me, tell me about your, uh, your barber style and things going on. Well, uh, so my original passion that I had since the age of 14, <clears throat> so it's crazy because it's been 30 years ago now, right? So 
I wanted to cut my own hair because I was tired of my dad cutting my hair. Like I came from a household where my dad wasn't a barber or, you know, or didn't have the desire to be one. He just knew how to keep his own hair maintained in between going to the barbershop. So in his infinite wisdom would cut my hair and jack it up. So I would go to school in the ninth grade looking like uh, Chris Rock's character Pookie from New Jack City. Uh, <laughs> you know, like yeah. my hair, <laughs> my, my sides matched how the top of my box was. And so there was no edge up, but it was like, it would all get cut like a certain length, but it would all be the same length all the way around. But it was the shape of a box, no edge up. I'm like, this is horrible. Like, like, like people are laughing at me along with the fact that I'd never really had name brand tennis shoes. So, uh, I was like, I want to, I want to cut my own hair. I want to do my own hair. I want to, you know, like do something that I know will make me happy if I do it, if I am responsible for my own stuff. And I think when I look back at where all of my entrepreneurship and leadership ways come from. It really started at that moment when that's when I knew I was going to take the responsibility and cut my own hair and give myself a presentation as if I went to the barbershop. And I never had any fear about it. And that's when it started. And and a story that I really have never told on stage, I've just told a few people, but this is how close I was to selling drugs versus cutting hair. So a guy, a drug dealer that was um, in my high school, we were both in the ninth or 10th grade. And he said, no, we were in class and he, he had this duffel bag and he reached in it. And he just pulled out a wad of cash. And I was like, dang, like, like it was in rubber bands and everything. I said, man, how did you get that money? And he said, man, I sell, I sell drugs on the side. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, he said, if you want to be down, I could put you in touch with my connect. And I was start, I started thinking, I said, man, my mom would kill me if she ever knew I did something like that. And in his bag, he had a pair of clippers. And I said, hey what are you doing with clippers? And he said, oh, I cut my hair and I cut my friend's hair on the side. And I said, really? I said, like, is it easy to cut your own hair? And he said, yeah, I mean, you you just got to, you, you know, like once you get the hang of the mirror that you're looking in into the other mirror and how to adjust your hand, once you get the hang of that, I mean, it's nothing. And I said, I want to do that. Like, I want to cut my own hair. And he said, cool, I can show you. That's how close I came to selling drugs, man. Well, first off, let me say that guy is a man of many talents being a drug dealer and a hairstylist. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, but I, I tell you what, you know, with the uh, with the pandemic going on, I think a lot of us, me as me, I think I think men's hair is a little bit easier to cut than women's hair so a lot of men think that they can do their uh their pandemic cut by themselves and let me tell you i have pulled off i've done some horrible things to my head over the last (laughs) nine months man (laughs) i mean i'm using same clippers that i use for my cat like it's it's weird man it's weird (laughs) 
yeah, that's not that's not good, you know. And in my barbershop, I mean, I I I finally went to barber school because I I mean I started cutting hair in the neighborhoods, and then I went into the navy, and then even though my job wasn't a barber in the navy, I, I was called a gunner's mate. Uh, I was the best barber, whether it was in boot camp, I was fixing people's jacked up cuts in boot camp, which was illegal. And then when I went to a ship. I became the person that people said, you know what, you cut better than the barber. So I was making money on the side in the Navy. And then when I got out the Navy, after I started my comedy career, I was still taking care of people on the side. And then I said, I need to start saving up money to go after my dream. Because as, as I mentioned, my original dream was to be a business owner as a barber. The comedy never, ever considered stand-up comedy, never considered entertainment, acting, movies, nothing. Although I watched a lot of comedic movies and, and, and sitcoms, I never said one day I'm going to be doing that. So that's how crazy my, my journey has been. So in the early 2000s, I was like, I need to start building my clientele up so I can save money and I can go to barber school and officially get my license to follow. Because I said at the age of 17, Chris, I said, by the time I'm 35, my my long term goal is by the time I'm 35, I will be a business owner. And at the time I was 32 when I finally went to barber school. And then when I finally finished and I eventually got my business license, I was 34. So I exceeded my, my, my goals a year, you know, a year ahead of uh, schedule. So yeah, you know, barbering was my thing and I've been in my barbershop. I have a barbershop, but because of the pandemic, I'm only cutting like twice a week, but it actually makes sense because I'm shooting two TV shows during the week as well. uh, As well as when, I was traveling and doing cruise ships. So I was like, yeah, I got to scale back on the barbershop thing or at least me cutting hair. And then I could just have people rent chairs in my shop. You know, one of the things that, uh, that you mentioned earlier, we were talking, we were talking about the, the barbershop and everything like that. But one of the things that we talked about earlier was, you know, your dream and, and you started, you started your dream a long time ago. Looking back, you know, like I said, you've, you've accomplished a lot now and you're still going to do more in the future, I'm sure. But looking, looking back on that for somebody that's listening to this and they, they've got that dream. Like I said, the last nine months to a year or so, I mean, it, it brought up this podcast for me. I mean, it definitely set me on a new journey. And for somebody that that's been, got that in the back of their mind, like, you know, like I said, maybe they're working some dead end job or something like that. And they're, they're working, they know what they want to do, but they don't know how to do that. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about back in the day when you, let's be honest, I'm sure you still had that same grind. You still got to pay your bills. You still got to take care of your family and everything like that. But back in the day, can you remember back when that started and, you know, what was going through your head and what made you say, all right, this is what I got to do next? Um, to be blunt, I mean, just the way I grew up, I watched my mother work extremely hard. I watched my my stepdad, you know, use his ability and his creativity as an artist. Like he carves abstract wood. I mean, carve abstract art out of wood, Um, whether it's going to go cut down some thick tree limbs and then he makes that into a thing, whether it's a snake or, you know, or a person. And 
that's pretty much my background for 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 where my my drive comes from. And I'm also a kid. I mean, I was also a kid that wasn't, you know, I had a I had a huge complex about how I looked because I was skinny. And, you know, I had, you know, even though I got braces um, right before the eighth grade, my parents uh, were a little bit too cheap, which I joke on stage. They didn't think it was necessary for me to get a retainer after I got braces. I guess the braces cost so much where they said, well, his teeth are straight. Why do I need to pay this much for a retainer? Because not having a retainer on braces, I mean, on teeth that just got the braces taken off is the same thing as having a prisoner come out of prison after being locked up for years with no guidance. My teeth were like, well, uh, the gates are off, so I can go where the hell I want to go now. <laughs> so that's what happened. <laughs> it gave me even more of a complex about myself. And then you add on top of that, I had a speech impediment, which I still have. People can't believe I stutter. I still stutter. And as I say on stage, I don't do it in front of people I don't know. So people think that I'm joking about it because they've never seen me stutter. But the people who know me really closely, oh, yeah. I mean, they see my stutter all the time from me blinking my eyes to get a word out. So, like, I had a lot that's a part of my drive and why I go after what I go after with the passion that I do it, starting from my parents and then understanding that I wasn't um, supposed to amount to what I eventually have amounted to from a teacher telling me that, yeah, you know, you're so many credits behind, you know, as a senior that why don't you just uh, wait to graduate next year instead of with your class this year. And I ended up three hours after school had ended and everybody had left on the very last day of school in my senior year, I finished. And just to give you context, I started my senior year Basically, with 11 grade credits, I had 11 and a half credits uh, total. We needed 22 to graduate, and it's and, and I should have been at 16 and a half credits to be considered a senior. So I spent my entire senior year making up for all the time I wasted in the previous three years just to make sure that I graduated and I finished three hours after the day had ended for everybody else to walk that week. So. That was my my background turning into a man, right, or a productive adult. And I think the thing that really turned that switch on for me was in boot camp. So if anybody's been in boot camp, um, I was in the Navy, and boot camp at the time was eight weeks. Eventually, it changed to 14 weeks, but now I think it's back to eight weeks. But you take a series of academic tests as well as physical tests. And you get two times to fail it. So the first time you fail any of those, you get a chance to make it up. And if you fail it, if you double fail it, you get set back two weeks. Okay. So that was a fearful thing for people in boot camp to have to start over, go two weeks back and start over with a whole new group of you know, sailors or recruits. And lo and behold, it happened to me because I came into boot camp with the same attitude I left high school with. Oh, I'll just skate by and I'll just barely do it. I'll be fine. And lo and behold, I had horrible study habits 
and I, I I failed that first test and I retook it again and I double failed it. And me and seven guys got set back. And the phone call I had to make to my parents to tell them, hey, um, that letter that you just got a, a few days ago in the mail about my graduation date was going to be this date. Well, if you, I hope you didn't buy your plane ticket because my graduation date is now going to be two weeks later. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Although my parents wasn't going to be able to fly and come see me graduate anyway, based on their financial situation, the fact that I had to be accountable for, okay, I said I would join the Navy and I only joined the Navy just to piss my parents off because they were wanting me to do something with my life and I wasn't ready to do it. So at that point, that was the switch. That was the light switch that made me believe, okay, nobody's going to help you but you, you are on your own. You're miles away from home. You can't depend on anybody to rescue you. You have to get yourself out of boot camp and you have to prove to everybody you're not a failure. And I would honestly say that that was my aha moment in my life. And I was, I think I was 17 or 18. No, I was 18 at the time. So that was what did it. Wow. Well, Quincy, you know, that that really makes a uh, that makes a big impact to somebody listening to that. You know, you've done a lot of things. You've done some great things. And I see a lot of great things coming for you. So I'm really excited about what's coming up. Not only not only in the short term, I really want to come up and see one of your shows, man. I'm, I'm super excited to hear that. But but also, like I said, I know I know that big things are coming for you. I, I can tell based on the work ethic that you've been talking about. It shows in your life and, and it's it's going to it's going to do next. So. With that being said, you know, one of the, one of the questions that I've been that I've been asking all of my guests at towards the end of of all the shows is is sort of directly related to what we were just talking about. So, okay. What is the last goal that you completed and what is the next goal that you want to set? The last goal that I completed uh the last crazy goal that I completed was I was the first comedian in this area, well, I was the first comedian, period, because I did my research, unless somebody has it to prove me wrong. I was the first comedian to film a comedy special in the Hampton Roads area. Um, I actually filmed it in Virginia Beach. And no one had ever come to this area. I'm talking like Richard Pryor, Jim Gaffigan, just any comic. No one has ever come to this area to film a comedy special, um, which is different than a comedy DVD. A lot of people film, you know, a tape of DVD just so they could sell the DVD. I set out in 2016 to do something that I knew had never been done and, and, and I knew how I wanted to get it done. And it was just to film a comedy special after I think at the time I had been in the business for about 16 years and I said, I need to do a comedy special because I don't live in LA, I don't live in Atlanta, I don't live in Chicago, New York, all the big cities where somebody would see you and offer you some type of, hey, we got a Comedy Central special opportunity, we got a Netflix. And I said, if anybody's gonna do it for me, it's gonna be me. And I went out to LA in, in 2016 for the second time, that's how I met Dave. Chappelle. And while I was out there, I linked up with a few people that I was just trying to pick brains about how would I go about it. And if I were to do it, you know, what type of platform would pick it up? Like, what do I need to make sure it, it, it has and all this stuff? 
And so I took all that back after about a week of being in LA and I just hit the ground running. And I basically put together this entire presentation for the comedy special in less than two and a half months. Like I, like I literally thought about it in like around March or like February or March. I went to LA around April. When I came back by May, I was already, I put the flyer together. I knew how, how it was going to be. I was getting the production crew and we filmed it June 16th of 2016. Okay. Yeah. So that was my, that was the last big goal that I had. And then it did get picked up for distribution. Uh, it was kind of short lived. And then recently another streaming platform, TGX Live, they picked, picked it up exclusively, but I had put it on TV a couple of times and everything. So the reviews were great. It's called Too Young for 40. If anybody's out there, you go to TGX Live for slash Quincy Carr. T as in Tom, G as in good, X as in, as in uh, Xerox. Does that make sense? <laughs> that was the last goal, the last major goal that I accomplished. A goal that I'm looking to do now in light of streaming, I'm taking my quality comedy series. I was already working on expanding it to other Dave and Buster's locations because I had it at the Virginia Beach Funny Bone until 2017. I left there and I brought it to Dave and Buster's. And Dave and Buster's loved it and they still love it. And so um, a location in Charlotte, North Carolina, contacted me about bringing it down there as well. So my goal was to obviously expand it. But now, because of the pandemic, along with expanding it, I'm looking to include a streaming audience through TGX Live. So I'll shoot it live the same way I would always perform it or present it. And then I'm going to bring in a virtual audience as well to enjoy the show outside of the 757. So that's going to be a lot of work uh, because I got to get crews together and I got to ensure that the location has the ability so I can have a nice tight stream, stream connection. So that's where my next big goals are going next, bro. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm excited to hear it. I'm excited for the next things to come from you. I mean, like I said, you're you're a real funny guy, and you know, I think that's an awesome plan. I think it it shows for the future what's coming. I think you're ready for the future, and I'm excited to I'm excited to hear about it. And definitely, if you're coming down to Charlotte, you know that's a little bit closer down here to us. So I'm I'm gonna take you up on coming to go see you, man. It's it's gonna be a good time. So, well, um. Well, well, Quincy, I'm really excited that you uh, that you came on and talked to me. I'm super appreciative. You're 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 doing big things, and like I said, more big things are coming for you. So, thank you so much for coming on. And you know, how can people get a hold of you? You know, to check you out. I, I know you're on social media. I know you're on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Give me all your your names and everything, and uh, and and wrap yourself, man. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So essentially you can go to my website, uh, quincycard.com. But if you just want instant gratification of things that I do and things that I've done, uh, I'm on YouTube. I'm really easy to find on YouTube. Matter of fact, I would ask that people continue to get the views up on a, um, a performance I did on a, a TV show on True TV called Laugh Tracks, where they take the comedian's story and they turn it into a reenactment, a funny reenactment. So uh, to get a good example of my brand of quality comedy, I have a sexual bit, a situation, an anniversary that my wife and I 
had experienced and I have no raunchiness in the joke. I have no cursing in the joke and it's a sex joke. However, they reenacted it and they made it, you know, a little raunchy, but you can get a sense for the, for my brand of quality comedy, but that's on YouTube is my highest view video, over 300,000 views. Um, but you can also see my channel, subscribe to my channel, just search for Quincy Carr, you know, and that bit is bed and breakfast. So bed and breakfast. Okay. And also, um, I had a, had a second episode on that same TV show called Barbershop Stutterer, and it's based on a real situation where as a barber, I stuttered. And I had a customer who stuttered and she triggered my stutter, which I was trying to hide from my customer, because as I said, I don't stutter in front of people I don't know. So her stutter triggered my stutter. And so it's yeah, it's really funny. Um, but I'm also on, uh, um, you know, I, mean, I can say Twitter. You can follow me. I don't I hadn't even broke a thousand followers on Twitter. I've been on there since 2008. This is embarrassing. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm on Twitter, at, you know, under Quincy Carr or Quality Comedy King. Uh, same thing on Facebook, just Quincy Carr, my fan page, comedian Quincy Carr. Instagram, Quincy Carr or Quality Comedy King. And then uh, TikTok, the same thing, Quincy Carr or just look for Quality Comedy King. Just think of Quality Comedy and know that I am the creator and that's my brand of comedy that I believe is going to be a category in comedy in the next decade. So people are going to be like, are you a clean comedian? Are you a, a regular blue comedian? Are you a church comedian? Oh, you're a quality comedian. Ah, great. We love you. Come on over here. So that's what I'm working towards. Well, there you go. Well, Misfits, go check him out. Quincy, you're a very funny man. I watched that video. That is a good one. The stutter, the stuttering in the barbershop. That's 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 a good bit, man. That's a good bit. Keep that one going. <laughs> well, Quincy, thank you again so much for coming on. Misfits, go check him out. He's he's very funny, and you're not going to be disappointed. Quincy, thank you again for coming on, and you have a great evening, man. Hey, thank you, Chris. I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, good luck for the rest of the show. Well, Misfits, we did it. That's our episode. I want to thank you so much for listening, and thanks again to our sponsors. If you want to support any of our sponsors, there are affiliate links on the Sponsors tab of our website at www.misfit-heroes.com. You can also find links to all of our social media there, so follow us for immediate up-to-date info about the podcast. Please, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to help us out, do us a favor, rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. Good or bad, just let us know. Truly Misfits, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. And until the next episode, be kind, love one another, and be a hero.